Hey, podcasters. Welcome to Amassed Community Talks, where Amassed founder and CEO, Boaz Gilad, speaks with business professionals each week who inspire growth and change in their industry. Amassed Community Talks is sponsored by Amassed, the go-to wholesale marketplace connecting the construction industry with local suppliers. Check us out on amassed.com. Hi. Sorry. I guess they don't want us to speak. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. All right. So, so let, let's start from the beginning. So, uh, again, so you're in New York. Yes. And uh, I want to thank you. So here's, here's how I would like to have a conversation. This is just an open conversation. And I'll give you a little background about a mass, which, you know, you know, but I think it's important to kind of create a context to conversation. I just want to hear your, your, uh, your take on things and how you see the industry and how you see the design. So I've been a real estate developer for 20 years, built thousands of units, uh, very hands-on. So I know construction quite well. And then it drove me nuts that we are, the typical construction is 20, 30 or more uh, years behind every other technology. Uh, and even if we use some software like, you know, Procore or, you know, stuff like that, it's still nothing compared to what's done in other industry. So uh, we opened Amass, which is a B2B marketplace for construction material. I think the best way to describe it, it's, um, it's a dating app for buyers and sellers in the construction market material. So we're not Amazon. We don't do the logistics and all that stuff. But we match the local framer, plumber, electrician, the subcontractors, the GCs, the general contractors, and the developers with lumber yards, supplies, whether in their region or other broader picture. And we, we, we've been live for, we've been uh, operating for four months and we're going through the roof. It's going really great. We're in nine states now, over 69,000 items on the catalog. So we're going very, very fast. The reason why we decided to do a mass, a mass live is because we want to hear more of a futuristic take of what's happening in the industry because we've been dealing with all this thing that did not work from the past. So what I would like to, first of all, so give us a little background about you. Uh, I know you went to amazing two schools, uh, but it's been a few years since you finished school. So tell us where you're working, what are you working on, anything you want to share with us. Sure. Uh, so I'm an architect in New York, as you probably heard from my, before when you asked me where I was. Um, I work for Deborah Burke Partners, which is a, a practice here in New York doing architecture. We're about uh, 60 people or so, so a kind of a, a medium-sized, smallish, medium-sized firm here in the city. And we work on um, commercial projects and residential projects and institutional work. Um, and that's all over the world, primarily in the United States, um, but not just in New York, of course. And my background, as some of you guys know, I, I went to Tulane for my architecture degree. I went to Yale for my undergrad. I would say um, our, our, my practice, and I think this is true of Deborah Burke Partners to a large degree, is very kind of user-centric. Um, like we really approach design with a kind of um, humane or human-centered approach to what we're doing and always thinking about, uh, I think in our industry, you often hear the word uh, building occupants, but we, we tend to call them users or, you know, uh, try to kind of humanize that, that a little bit and think about who's actually using, uh, using these buildings and how they're using the buildings. So um, we're also, at least I'll, I'll speak for myself rather than DBP, but um, very community engagement focused, stakeholder engagement focused, and also really, really concerned about um, sustainability and climate action on the part of the building industry. So, so for a small firm, because 60 people is kind of a boutique firm, if, you know, uh, you guys doing both residential, commercial, and institutional or not-for-profit uh, work? And worldwide. So what beyond the fact, I think the Yale connection, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the owner is the head of the program, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, That's beyond right. that, what, make, 
Yeah, it's a very, very broad. I mean, I, I don't know many architects' offices that deal with such a broad thing. What's your core business? Is it more the non-for-profit world? Is it more the residential for people who are, uh, you know, uh, doing something um, unique? I would say very, very little of it is the, I mean, not for profit. I would say in the institutional side, which is where I focus, it's primarily cultural institutions and um, also mm -hmm. higher education. So, you know, some of our clients are, are Harvard, Princeton, a major project that I worked on in the last couple of years. So schools all over the country, um, as well as institutions in the arts, we're, we're very um, concerned with and have done a lot of work historically in both the visual arts and the performing arts. So, um, so arts and education and the institutional side. And then on the commercial side, we've done some hospitality work. We've done all of the 21C hotels. There are nine of those now all around the country. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, which yeah. are these kind of cool hybrid uh, museum hotels, another art. Uh, it's a hospitality project, but with a lot of art um, in it, big art story there, um, as well as some multifamily residential here in the city. And then um, on the residential side, we've done a lot of private homes. We're all, we're modernists, yeah. so, of course. And so those are all very like modern uh, contemporary yeah. homes. But I wouldn't say, would say it's not one or the yeah, other. Right. We do all three. We, we really, not, there's not one that's a central that's focus. Yeah. Well, as, as a residential developer, and again, I never did like high luxury, like very, very high end. I think budget uh, is a huge part of the choices, whether about design, material usage, other. Are you dealing with budget concerns and limitations when it comes to building a building for Princeton or for Harvard or any of those uh, uh, institutions? Of course. I mean, no matter what the scale of the project, there, uh, budget is always a concern. And I think especially with um, even with, with an institution, with these very large scale projects, you know, they're, the, they're, what they build is part of their messaging and part of their, their communication to the outside world and part of their brand, I think. You know, they're very concerned at the same time about how they spend their dollars and how, what, what are the, you know, how most effectively, what, what are they getting out of the building project? What are the outcomes that they're, they're trying to um, get out of a building? I think a lot of institutions think in that way. So, yeah, but I, I would say on, on any project, whether it, you could look at it and call it luxury or not, uh, budget is always a concern. I think um, a lot of projects are kind of not to exceed and, you know, staying on budget and, and making those kind of decisions and keeping a project on budget all along the way is a kind of critical part of project delivery. From our what would you say is the largest uh, challenge in staying on budget when it comes to construction? Well, that's and a project from design. I, you know, um, I, to, just to roll that back a little bit, I would say one of the ways to avoid that problem and how we think about it is that at the beginning of a project, before we start schematic design, we work very closely with our clients to develop um, kind of a mission statement for the project where we clearly articulate the goals of the project. And I think um, a lot of really sophisticated clients may already have done this internally and have a process where they have you know, done some kind of visioning for, for, the, for the project. Some have done it to, you know, more than others. So it's critical to have that. And part of that mission statement has to be a sustainability charter, you know, if you will, something that says, what are the sustainability goals for the project? Because once you get into the process of design, um, especially with sustainability, every decision you make really matters. And you have to understand what the real long-term goals are and what the trade-offs are so that when you have to decide between different things, you know, I can do A or I can do B, I can't do both. You have to, you have this charter, you have this mission statement that you can look back on with your client. You can and say, you know, here's what we talked about in the beginning. These are the goals. Does this serve this goal or not? So I think it's uh, being really clear at the beginning what, what the goals are. And 
identifying what mm -hmm. the potential challenges are going to be. And then as you get into it, you know, the challenges are going to be different from project to project. But if you have that kind of partnering relationship with your client, it helps a lot. Mm. So some people are, you know, we have a eco-friendly section in the mass. It's one of actually their fastest growing you see the most amount of traffic on it. And I think because of especially changes of local law, both in New York and in California, uh, that will force people to build with uh, eco-conscious or eco-friendly material. Um, but w would you say that still sustainability and uh, design is somewhat of a luxury? Or do you think it's possible to build inexpensive construction, housing, uh, commercial offices, whatever it is, uh, with still sustainable material and uh, echo uh, commitment absolutely and and it's critical that we do and the other i mean the way that people are you know increasingly looking at that question is looking at the kind of whole building life cycle uh, cost analysis right like you have to look at not just the cost of the building itself but the cost of operating the building and so like thinking about how using renewable energy um, and other strategies to reduce the energy um, use of the building or, you know, in the long term, we're going to save the client money in operating building that you plan to have, you know, built and used for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years or more. Um, that, that really adds up. So you have to look at the whole building life cycle. And uh, I think that's kind of part of that equation. Um, but yeah, and but even taking that out of the picture, I think more and more products are coming on the market. Um, more and more kind of techniques or, or strategies, you know, building techniques and building strategies are, are coming online to, to help people understand how to do this efficiently. I, I think one of the keys to this, and this is why this conversation is great, is, you know, uh, kind of an open source platform for sharing effective practices and effective products, you know, so that mm -hmm. architects and, and uh, contractors are sharing information with one another to help each other and share the, their success stories and their, and their challenges and, and how to do this right. Yeah, great. I think one of the challenges I hear when I speak with vendors and buyers on a mass, but also from our real estate development experience is that a lot of contractors uh, and subcontractors don't really know how to work with the material. They're so used to the old way of doing things. When you bring a new material, they some, sometimes it's a challenge for them to learn how to work with things that are maybe more effective, more efficient, uh, saves money, time, energy, etc. Is that your experience or you see uh, welcoming to this new practice also on the level of the construction sites? I think that's starting to change, but I have seen that. You know, I think this is not just true of our industry, but, but a lot of industries where you know, the, the status quo is guarded very, very dearly, you know, ch like change is scary. And, um, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a learning curve, yeah. right, for certain trades, and, you know, as new materials get introduced. And I think um, that's why, you know, continuing education and like, just constantly getting the word out about this stuff and having platforms to share this kind of knowledge to make it less intimidating and, and easier to adopt, I, I think is a critical uh, part of making this happen. Because, you know, addressing climate action as architects and construction, construction managers and contractors is not really optional, right? I mean, it's something that we are going to all have to be working together in order to achieve the kind of goals we're going to need to achieve to get to a real, um, you know, uh, net zero carbon environment in, in, an, in, the, in a reasonable amount of time. So we need, you know, everybody yeah. pulling in together and pulling in the same direction. Cool. Uh, moving to a little different uh, question. If you're looking a year, three years, even five years from now, one of the, what's the one of the most exciting trends you see right now that are being developing, being used by either your, your firm or you're aware of that you think is something you want to talk about because it's exciting, exciting for you? 
That's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to see as a trend, uh, this is, again, it's, it's happening in design, but it's happening in other industries as well, is a focus on using data-driven uh, tools and data-driven design research in order to develop concepts or develop solutions to design problems. And I think um, more and more um, designers were, are needing to have knowledge and education about data and, and research and how that plays into a design process. So I think that plays into um, the kinds of analyses that we need to do on our buildings now to understand, uh, you know, in order to do these kind of whole building an analysis. A lot of times we'll work with consultants on some of these really complex areas and engineers from, from lots of different uh, fields. But it's really, um, that's, I, I'm seeing more and more folks on my side of the table that are on the design side needing to really have an understanding of a kind of a data-driven or research-driven design process. So when you say data, do you mean the uses of material, the design, the uh, structural and architect uh, architectural and mechanical uh, uh, usage? All of the, all, all of the above. From, mm -hmm. uh, I think I all of the above. It has to do with um, inside and outside the building. It has to do with you know our, our, the right articulation of, and orientation of your facade has to do with your building systems, um, has to do with engineering, or I would say energy programming on the inside of a building to understand what parts of the building have high intensity uses and which ones might have lower intensity uses where you could use more passive strategies. A lot of that um, involves um, collecting and understanding a certain amount of data about the, about the building or the proposed building. Mm, that's great. Okay, and then one more, uh, a different subject also where I love to, uh, Take your uh, hear your take on it. So we all been through a, um, a fundamental, uh, I'm guessing, fundamental um, fundamental shift in the way we do business, the way we interact because of COVID nineteen. So uh, we all work from home and less traveling. All the other things that traditionally that disappeared really fast. You live in New York City. I'm in New York City. Uh, how do you see urban centers? How do you see cities in the next five, ten, fifteen years? Uh, do you see a major change, a shift? How do you hear when you talk to your clients? What's their experience? What their intention? What we're going to do with all those uh, sky, uh, uh, skyscrapers uh, when we, you know, go back to normal life? Maybe in three to six months. How do you see that? It'll be great to get your take on it. So I, I can give my thoughts on some of that, but I have to say I'm I'm not a workplace expert, and so you know, understanding about what may happen with commercial real estate with regards to um, workplaces is I have some, some thoughts on it, but I'm not an expert in that area, but, and so I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah. I'm curious to see, to see, you know, what happens with our, with our workplaces. I, I do think that many people will go back to work. Um, but I do think there will be some long-term change because of the experience of COVID. To do, work do, remotely do you, and the, the, that people can be productive that way. Yeah. Have you, have you uh, changed any of your design or the interaction with uh, clients due to COVID? Not from like sure. Zoom versus in person. I'm talking about like from a design perspective. Like was, was the new concern that showed up from your designs, from the mission statement uh, because of the last year uh, in the process say, you were doing with your clients? Sure, sure. A little, a little bit in lots of different ways and different on every project. I, you know, I would say um, clients are much more concerned about healthy air, right? And mm. uh, making sure that their buildings have 
very, very high quality and healthy air, healthy environments for the people inside those buildings. So I think that that strategy and, and how to get there, depending on the building typology and, and what, what the program is, you know, there's going to be different strategies. But that's, you know, increasingly part of the conversation that a client maybe never would have said before, you know, early on in a process, well, we have to make sure this building has, you know, very healthy air. So people are concerned about health and wellness of their of the users of the buildings. And that's become a conversation that is um, more in the foreground now. So that's really positive. Um, and then I would say in terms of how we do things, we do a lot of stakeholder engagement with, uh, especially on our institutional projects. And, you know, that involves sometimes if it's a campus project, talking to students, talking to faculty, talking to administration, talking to neighborhoods, talking to, you know, lots and lots of different groups. And we've had to do all of that remotely, right? We've had to do all of that um, mm -hmm. online. Yeah. And it's been great learning experience. I think it's actually worked out very well because one of the things about the online platform is that in a way it's very democratic. It's, it can be more inclusive um, because people can tap in from wherever they are. Like you can literally meet people where they are, you know, in their living room or in their dorm. You know, if you have a kind of a workshop or a kind of a community group and you invite people to come, and it's at a certain time of day and you don't provide childcare or, you know, or people have to, you know, like you're going to, you're going to, people are, it self-selects a certain group of people that want to get involved, that yes. want to give feedback and that want to be part of the process. But if you can have an online process um, or it may be a parallel one when we get to the point where we can meet again in real life, um, it lets a lot more people tap in and, um, and participate. So I think that's been like one of the great lessons learned from this is like, how this can, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately give us a way to have a more inclusive process where we can have more diverse voices involved in um, these conversations about our building. What a great uh, point. And I haven't thought about it. And actually, uh, the fact that we all on Zoom and we're so used to it or whatever the video uh, tool we're using, um, when we go back to the office, uh, there'll be an, uh, a more welcoming and familiar usage of video so we can have someone who's an expert or have a feedback who's sitting in africa or sitting in europe and it's no big deal it's no longer we're sitting in a room and by the way they're sticking their nose into our conversation it's one holistic conversation because we're so used to it we've done it for a year that's a really great point yeah um, we've gotten well, really comfortable I, with it so yeah yeah i think exactly. that's a silver lining yeah, silver lining for sure no exactly why not right uh so first of all thank you uh, it's been uh, nothing but a pleasure we love those uh, bits and pieces of conversations um i think we have to something very very big, uh, whether it's a mass, uh, I think uh, on your world, on a mass, we're trying to bring innovation or an efficiency to an inefficient world. Um, we need more efficiency, whether efficiency in the use of energy and uh, responsibility uh, for the planet and for ourselves, or uh, making people uh, spend less time on busyness and more on creativity and effectiveness. So uh, I think we're matching that perspective. I really appreciate the time you spend with us. And it's been nothing but a pleasure. And, uh, Thanks for us. Thanks and, uh, for having uh, me. Keep in touch. Of course, what a pleasure. Bye, everybody. Thank you so Bye, much. Bye, everybody. Thank you.